Welcome to Interruptions Podcast, where we have heartfelt and sacred discussions about our culture, faith traditions, and community. We invite guests who are open and willing to share their journey and disrupt the silence on their personal and professional interruptions that have impacted their lives as it relates to emotional wellness. Coach Kathy and I are passionate about every episode and committed to providing actionable advice that you can apply today to reinvent yourself on your life journey and encourage you to develop a path toward healing. Our podcast series this summer is called the Parking Lot Series. I am one of your co-hosts, Reverend O. And I am your other co-host, Coach Kathy. How are you? (laughs) I am well. As you can see, I'm out of my element. I am away for a much needed couple of days away. I'm very excited about it, though. I'm excited about this podcast, but also excited about just being in a space where I needed to just kind of um, be with my husband. And um, we're actually visiting with my daughter's godparents, who we haven't seen for quite some time. They flew in from Florida. And so we're actually able to spend some downtime with them. And she is actually, um, uh, her godmother, my daughter's godmother, is actually a former member of Mount Air Baptist Church, and we knew each other as kids. Okay. And you're in Boston, I and am. I'm down here in New Haven in the studio, first time since the pandemic, all by myself with all these microphones. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and you look very excited, so I'm a little nervous because you look a little excited about me. Yeah, that you shouldn't be. (laughs) If it's a red button, don't touch it because then we have an issue and then we got to start all over. And so (laughs) just keep your, like, go like this. Remember how the teacher used to say, fold your hands and put them on your desk? That's what you Okay, I'll do that. So before we talk about our guests that are in the room, that we're probably already in the room, um, Kathy, why don't you talk about the Parking Lot Series? So the Parking Lot Series was uh, created just, the uh, you know, I want everyone to understand that Odell and I just kind of gel together, which is awesome. Um, and that's a good thing because that makes our conversation uh, more relaxing for the, not only for our guests, but for the audience that is listening. And so I asked Odell, as she is out in the community and she's actually presenting her training based on the information that she has shared in her book and as well as her play, I asked her, are you coming up against topics where it's taking you to a, a different into a different direction than what you're intending the uh, training to be uh, for? And she said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I really am. And so that's hard when you are actually a director. And I would say that for anyone that's a trainer, um, a pastor, Sometimes we go into meetings and this is what our agenda is, right? And it looks really great. Um, And so we planned and we have everything all set. Um, But then someone brings up a topic that we, um, it's not that we're not prepared to discuss it, but it would move us from where we need to be in our conversation for that particular session. And so she said she is finding that. And so what I said is that let's talk about doing a parking lot series. That's because that's what we call it, right? We don't want to take away from the actual training and we don't want people to feel like they're dismissed. So we say we just gonna, or we're just going to take this conversation and move it over into the parking lot. And so that's what these series, these next two few podcasts are going to be focused on. Uh, those topics that we are that she's coming up against during her training that we don't want people to think that it's not important. Um, but we also don't want the other people that are there for the uh, particular training to feel like um, that they're losing out time on what they thought they were going for. So that is what these parking lot series are dedicated to. And so for all the guests that are coming, we know that you all are experts in that area of the conversations that we are going to have over these next few set podcasts. So thank you. Thank you for coming. So I'm going to introduce our guest who everybody can probably already see. So first we have my professor, my teacher, my friend, Dr. Scott Thuma. 
I got a little bio. Dr. Scott Thoma is the professor of sociology of religion and director of the Hartford Institute of Religion Research at Hartford International University. Now, Scott, please me if, if, if any of this has changed. He has published numerous research reports, website documents, articles, and chapters on religious life in addition to co-authoring three books. And he has researched and written on megachurches, evangelism, gay religious life, the rise of non-denominationalism, and the changing religion landscape. So I welcome to the room, Dr. Scott Thoma. Hello, ma'am, how are you? It's great uh, to see you all. Good to see you too, Scott. Welcome, thank you. And our other guests came and responded to a last minute phone call, Reverend Garland Higgins. Um, we were supposed to have on today Pastor Bailey, but he had to go to his daughter's graduation that uh, miscommunication about. So I called Garland at the last minute and I said, oh, and she said yes. And she's been on our show before. So the Reverend Garland Davis Higgins is an author for Teen Girls, My Soul Speaks, a civic leader. Reverend Higgins currently serves as the executive pastor, director of Christian education at Antioch AME Church in Stone Mountain, Georgia, a facilitator trainer for interruptions and earning her doctoral degree at Columbia Theological Seminary. And she's my friend, my dear, my Didi, my girl. Welcome to Interruptions Podcast. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I think there's a little part that you left out, though. Oh, yes. I'm like, sorry that uh, Garland is your sorority sister. She is an old <laughs> so, Did you yes. want to say the name of that sorority? Did you want me to? Alpha that? Kappa Alpha Sorority. <laughs> Scott, only if you knew what we have to go through in this case. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, I want to be fair. <laughs> So thank you all for being here for our parking lot series. Um, and I know your bio is much larger than I have found on LinkedIn in your background, but I want to summarize it. But most importantly, people can always Google you and find out about you on the internet, on LinkedIn, Facebook. So Scott, I'm gonna start with you and then I'll ask you Garland. Scott, tell us something about you that people don't know that they can't find on LinkedIn or Google that would just surprise them and say, I didn't know that about Dr. Thuma. <laughs> well, there, there are quite a few of those. But <laughs> we won't talk about all of them. There's <laughs> no. one that we can know. <laughs> but yes, uh, most people don't know that uh, I was a baker uh, for a long time. I, I worked in the army as a cook and then a baker and, and did ice carving and cake decorating and and, and then worked my way uh, through college uh, with a, a cake decorating company called No Plain Cakes. So I, I was making uh, cake shapes in, in the form of typewriters and guitars and such long before, uh, you know, is it, is it cake or is it art? You know, I, I was already doing that. So that's great. That's interesting. And I'm I never knew that about you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm impressed uh, because if you asked me to bake something, I think my cake <laughs> would come out lopsided. So uh, <laughs> I'm not that girl. So wow, well, I, I didn't know, know that. It's important to know your gift, right? That's, that's right. <laughs> and eat them too. <laughs> so Garland, what about you? Tell us something about you that you didn't share on our last podcast that you would like people to know about you that we do not know. I'm very adventurous. Um, I'm the person that wants to, I've climbed Stone Mountain. I, I would love to do some zip lining. Um, I see all these different things and I'm like, wow, I want to try that. There's this place here called I Fly where um, it's um, syndicate, syncope, whatever that word is, where you feel like you're jumping out of a plane, but somebody is assisting you and the room is full of air and you're floating in the air. I want to try that. I saw it and my daughter keeps saying, Ma, I don't think that's a good idea, but I'm going to try it. 
So I, I'm really the. the I'm gonna call you. I'm gonna call you when I come to Georgia. We're gonna do that together. Okay, it's called <laughs> I Fly. <laughs> okay, so I would like to let everybody know how because you all, you, you two are my guests, and Kathy's like winging from the side. So I have to tell everybody how I met you two. So when I was a student, it, the school was called Harford Seminary. And I was in the main building taking classes at my master's degree. Scott was always, as they called it, the white building. We were in the white building. Scott was across the street. He and Carl Dudley and a few others and Dr. Rosen. And they were in the congregational studies building. And I always found it fascinating. And Dr. Kelton Cobb was my advisor. And I was taking classes. And he says, I think it's time you find another uh, advisor because I can't help you. And I had two choices of an advisor. One was Scott, because he and I both love technology. <laughs> and it was uh, Dr. Carl Dudley. And it was a tough call. And I met with Scott, met with Doc, Dr. and met with um, Dr. Dudley. And Scott said, you know, my plate's kind of full, but I'll take you, it's okay. And we have been, he has been a mentor, he's been a friend. He has guided me along this journey. We've had great conversations about church and technology. And when I thought it, I when I thought I want to get my doctor's degree, I met with Scott. <laughs> and you have been there for me and have been a great friend and mentor. Garland and I met in the Black Ministries program and went to school together. She was in church together, and our families meld and gelled. And we became good friends, different sororities, but still good friends. <laughs> and uh, she's in the book, Interruptions. Yes. She, she's in the book. So we have been friends ever since in ministry. And she has helped me very much along the way in this journey. So friend, sister, you're here. So thank you. Thank you. So I, I, I wanted, Scott, what I did for you during graduation when I saw you, and I'm sure you haven't had a chance to read it yet because you was winding down with classes, uh, the Interruptions book. Uh, you and I have had the conversation where you know why I wrote the book and my background story. Garland has read the book because she is in the book and she helped me edit it. But the Let's Talk program has grown. I have the book Interruptions, and God inspired me to write a workbook, be able to talk about the mental health behaviors that you're seeing in the book. And then I try to talk about those mental health behaviors and attach those behaviors to a mental health language so that people understand what's going on. People have said what we're gonna talk about today that the church has failed us in, in many ways. The church has not been there for us when it comes to sexuality or same gender marriages or um, youth church, whatever the education is, whatever the issue is. But mental health has now been very strong in the black church. And we're gonna talk a lot about that in a couple of books that you wrote, Scott. I want you to share on it, share. And Garland, also, your, your talk about your doctoral program that I can't wait to hear about. So that's what I want to talk about today. So, Scott, I'm going to ask you the first question. So sure. in your experience, and, and, and first, give everybody a little bit more background in terms of who you are and your work with mega churches. What are you discovering since this pandemic and the church with dealing with mental health and providing emotional wellness to their congregation. Well, thanks, Odell. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm happy to talk about, uh, I, I'm currently involved in um, a, a large uh, and pretty complex five-year uh, research project looking at how congregations uh, have dealt with the pandemic and then how they're going to come out of it. Uh, and we're only one one year in, but we've done three national studies so far. Uh, so uh, I have I have some data, but but also uh, I'm, I've been part of this larger project called Faith Communities Today for the last 20 years that sort of has mapped how congregations are changing and and um, developing. What what we found when we looked at um, the the stresses and, and 
situation of congregations uh, in in the middle of the pandemic, and and then our our last survey was just a couple months ago, was that the demand for uh, mental health care, the demand for spiritual health care, uh, skyrocketed as <laughs> not too surprising. Uh, but at the at the same time as as there was a, a greater need for those things. Um, in, in most cases, uh, like 15 or 20 percent of the congregations uh, decrease their staff or, or move them from full time to part time. But then also the other challenging thing was uh, normally we would ask a pastor uh, at how, what percent of their people are volunteers and, and you'd get an answer between 40 and 45 percent. And that was true for about the last 20 years. When, when we asked last summer how, what percent of their members volunteered, it was 15%. That's and, drastic. Oh, oh, it's tremendous, yeah. I mean, it's more than half. Uh, it, it has climbed a little bit to about 20%, but it's still you know, barely half of what it was. So you have these tremendous uh, demands and, and not just you know, mental and, and spiritual counseling needed, but also all of the other uh, aspects around food and around uh, it, uh, funds and all sorts of things, um, but you, they're really working with a, a significantly smaller uh, pool of resources and, and volunteers. In, in most cases, giving had, had remained pretty strong throughout the pandemic, but what we're starting to see now is as people get back out in the world and obviously gas prices and and they're going out to dinner more often. Uh, the the giving to congregations has has dropped back to what it was pre-pandemic. So uh, I I think there are some real challenges right now. And if you really think about the the mental health toll that the pandemic took on on people and congregations, you know, with with the anxiety and stresses themselves, but then also with with so many of our members either having been sick or, in, in God forbid, died, uh, there, there really just is still this um, grief and pain that, that really hasn't been fully acknowledged. You know, so many people lo lost the ability to, to go and, and grieve at, at the graveside and those kinds of things and, and have the community support them in their loss. And, uh, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of pain uh, that's that's latent in in a lot of congregations these days. Scott, I hear you say thank you. I hear you say two things. You said mental health and spiritual wellness and spiritual health. What's the difference? Can you explain to our audience what the difference is, please? Well, it was two different questions, <laughs> which is <laughs> that's the easiest one. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think. Uh, obviously, there's a significant overlap between the two, uh, just as well as physical health. I mean, I think, you know, we're holistic beings. And if one aspect of, of our lives out of, out of sync, all of those aspects are, are going to be out of sync. But, but we, we wanted to distinguish in some sense in the question, uh, which we also asked to the clergy, <laughs> um, you know, whether they were stressed in, in terms of uh, their soul and, and their family relations and, you know, grieving over lost loved ones or an anxious about where the pandemic was going. But, but then also, uh, you know, all of those things have a spiritual dimension and, mm -hmm. and the question of, you know, where is God in all of this? Or I'm, yes. I'm not able to be with my community. <laughs> you know, so many people get both mental and also spiritual support from their congregation. And at a time when they interacted through Facebook Live or for Zoom or something, you know, it, it's just not the same thing. And, and uh, we, we saw both, both of those um, spike by over 40% in, in many cases. Uh, okay. So it, it, it was a real challenging time for sure. Okay. Thank you. It's, fun, it's funny that you say that um, it's not the same thing, but I think originally, I, I just don't think that we were ever in a in a space 
or a place like this before in time, right? And so um, I, I think that we put a lot of trust and a level of expectation into certain professions that should have been ready for this type of situation coming up. But who would have ever thought? Who would have ever thought, right, that we are still talking about COVID mm -hmm. in 2022? Because we just thought it was going to be over with, right? And so your your points are well taken in that in terms of Zoom and in person. Because if you think about it, um, most offices, I would say, offices and churches, once we got up online, people were like, wow, this is great. They, re they figured out a way for us to still communicate. Seriously, right? They figured out a way for us to still communicate. And this is wonderful. And this is just beyond our time. And then about, I would say, four or six months into it, you're like, oh, my God, I can't do another Zoom. If I have to sit on another Zoom meeting, I am just not going to make it. I can't, you know, because everybody was doing really creative things. I know for me, you know, personal friends that we were normally in touch with weekly, we were doing things like facials, like weekly facials and weekly game nights. And, we, and then it was like, okay, I can't do another facial. I can't do another. <laughs> and so, you know, I who who establishes what's right and what's wrong and how far we can go. And so, uh, you know, it's hard for, I think, for the church to have to live up to that level of expectation when we didn't even know what our level of expectation was because we've never been here before. So it's kind of unfair to put so much pressure on our churches to be able to address what everyone is going through when we have never gone through this before. It it's that's that's true. And Scott, I want to come back and talk to you a little bit more about that because if anyone hasn't figured out by now, the bottom line is Scott is the man. Scott is the guru of congregational studies of yeah. church history. Great. So that is the only way to put it. He is the man. So thank you for being in the room. <laughs> My pleasure. Garland, I want to ask you the same question. Talk to us a little bit about your dissertation and the fact I, I want you to tell us about your dissertation, your title, and why this topic that you chose this topic and some of the struggles that you're finding in the black church as well with, with mental health. Well, the title of my, this is, I'll call it my working title because I am a doctoral student who, who is supposed to graduate next May. And so <laughs> I will call it my working title because it's possible that that could change somewhat. But right now it is the mystery of Black folks mourning. Mm. Um, the historic denial of grief and its effects on African-Americans in the church today. And um, how I uh, got to that point was, you know, even as early as my 20s, I always had the question, is there a connection to um, how the Black community grieves today compared to slavery? Because mm -hmm. during the time of the slavery period, we were not considered to be human. We were denied the right to, to grieve. Now we have all of these resources available to us to help us through the grieving process and we deny ourselves. And so I was just curious to know, my question is, does grief and loss in the black community today have a connection to the slavery period? And um, in my research, I have found some very interesting information um, that I wanted to share. And um, I wanted to highlight in particular from my um, uh, theoretical framework, I found um, Joseph Bailey who talks about different stages of grief in the black community as opposed to Kubler-Ross's stages of grief because he said in the black community, a large uh, reason for our grief is homicide. It was mm -hmm. homicide in the slavery period and it's homicide now. So 
the, the stages of grief for Kubler-Ross was denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. But Joseph Bailey points out, um, he talks about alarm, numbness, pining, depression, and recovery. Uh, so he focuses a large part on, because of there's a, a large part of our community when we deal with loss, it's homicide because we're not really getting to a point of acceptance. We're just gonna recover from it and do the best that we can. And so um, in that, uh, we're not always willing to walk through the grief journey process in a healthy way because we're not willing to get therapy. And also uh, it's a little different now, it's getting better, but the black church had not really been there, not really been able to, to be there for those families grieving because um, maybe lack of resources or um, overlooking, again, that, that denial of um, we're supposed to just move on and, and let it go. Um, and, and, and how we are able to still manage to function uh, without really dealing with the grieving process in a healthy way kind of shows right now, even with the road rage and uh, so many things that are happening in our communities because people have not been dealing with the root problem. Thank you. Um, so you said something, Scott, in your research, your research of, of churches and culture and faith, is this myth stigma more stronger in the black community than any other faith or religion you studied, or is it equal and we just aren't, when we're just not paying attention to it? Well, it, um, it, it, it is apparent, I think, that, um, you know, we're, we're not taught in seminary to um, really reach out to parishioners uh, in, in terms of, of mental health, right? I mean- Could you say what, that again for our readers? Yeah. <laughs> now that I'm not a seminary anymore. Right to the pastor. Yeah. <laughs> say it louder for the people of that. Yes. That's, that's right, no kidding. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, what you what you've often seen is that clergy feel comfortable doing, you know, pastoral counseling and and you know dealing with the spiritual issues. And if someone starts to say, "Well, I'm hearing voices," or "I feel depressed," or they they immediately ship you off somewhere else, right? And I mean, there's a there's a good reason for that. They're not often trained, but but what that has meant is the issues, the proactive issues of mental health are, are very seldom addressed in, in the life of a congregation. Mm -hmm. uh, if they are, it, they're addressed by, um, well, we support, you know, AA and NA meetings or, or we have, you know, Overeaters Anonymous or, you know, we, we, we sort of farm out a lot of those issues uh, to other groups or to professionals outside, outside the building. So mm -hmm. therefore, instead of instead of adequately addressing things like grief or you know pain or or loss um, we we put it into the professional category and send you to the psychologist or something which which then disconnects uh, your mental health from your your spiritual health and uh, that's that that's been changing some we've we've seen uh, a, a rise in congregations that are doing, uh, kind of health and mental health based programs, but and and honestly, the the data shows now that uh, uh, African American congregations uh, uh, are the most likely to have uh, some of those um, health related programs uh, compared to evangelicals or mainline uh, congregations. But but we're still you know a good ways away from um, the the idea of uh, a, a proactive kind of mental health uh, treatment, you know, before it gets to a crisis stage. Uh, and and I, I, I think you can trace it back uh, to the history of the black church and how it's developed over time. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's. All right. Now, 
Scott, I have a question for you. Thank you. I have a question for you. We, when Kathy and I was putting together this, our topic for this evening, this being Black um, Gay Pride Month, also want to talk about when we talk about the Black church, the Black church has definitely, people have said, has failed their people in terms of supporting us, supporting those who were gay and homosexuality, whatever the language is, not trying to be disrespectful. But the church, the Black church has failed us, did not want to deal with it. You wrote a book called Gay Religion, and now we're talking about mental health. Scott, can you tell us, and I know you're great with all these great numbers, and Garland, I want to come back to you in terms of what you're seeing in Atlanta. Um, can you talk to us, one, what was what was the book Gay Religion about? Give us a little bit of background. And how many people do you think are from that population dealing with, you know, not dealing with who are gay, are now have mental health issues? Um. <laughs> Thanks for these difficult questions. Bring you on just and That's right. That's right. So in a minute or two. No, um, the 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 book uh, Gay Religion uh, really came out of some some of the earlier work that I did uh, in Atlanta uh, on on. Um, groups that worked with uh, evangelicals uh, all throughout the South. Uh, and, you know, in, in back in those old days, I mean, this is now a, a good many years ago. Um, if, if someone lived in a small town in rural Georgia and, and really thought that they were gay, uh, oftentimes they would be kicked out of their family, kicked out of their church and, and really run out of town. Mm -hmm. And, and so they always ran to uh, Atlanta uh, as the big city. And, you know, it was, it was clear at that point that um, they were suffering uh, tremendously from, you know, rejection and, and uh, not knowing sort of who they were, but also knowing that God didn't love them. And, you know, I mean, it, it was it was incredibly painful uh, to to do some of that research. Uh, that that then caused me to begin to look. Okay, so what were some positive uh, uh, LGBT and and Christian sort of expressions in the in the country? And and so the the book Gay Religion is really a collection of uh, sort of positive ways that people have put together their faith. And and their 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 sexuality, um, so in in some sense, I have I have tended to focus on on the positive aspects, and even even did a, a study of a, a gay gospel drag show that happened in Atlanta for for almost twenty five years. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah, it was. It's not it's not going on any longer, but it, but it was a fascinating way that. Um, in some sense, mostly gay men were, were sort of trying to take back uh, their sense of spirituality and they would all come together and they'd sing gospel hymns. And, uh, you know, some of it could have been seen as, you know, in jest. But when you looked on the faces of, of a lot of these folks sitting, standing around the bar, uh, singing gospel songs, it was absolutely clear that they were at church, right? That Okay. that they had a real connection with God through that. Uh, and and the, the, the fact that they couldn't do that in a lot of the congregations that they came out of was, you know, was just painful, but also uh, quite fascinating uh, for a, a researcher. Okay. I, I think, you know, what we, uh, now the much of the conversation is, is around transgender uh, issues and, yes. uh, but but I think as as accepting as our country has become uh, with LGBT kinds of rights and issues and uh, gay marriage has worked, nevertheless you still see the United Methodist Church struggling and and probably in the midst of a split uh, yeah. w over these very issues. And so I, I think for a lot of Christians who find themselves to be queer they still have some real challenges and and that raises even even if they feel good about themselves it's the the social pressures 
and situation is still causes uh, real real pain. And yeah, you know, I I'm not one to cast aspersions, but but I do think that sometimes uh, African American congregations uh, don't uh, they they may tolerate uh, gays and lesbians in their midst, but but that because they don't bring it out to have a conversation about it, mm. there's this unwritten rule that, well, they can be the choir director, they can be the organist, but we're just not gonna talk about it, you know? And, <laughs> and, and that's not full acceptance. And, and certainly right. those folks feel that and, and know that, you know? So uh, it's, there's, a, there's a ways to go in, in every tradition for sure, but. Okay, okay. Now, can I ask three of you a question? So this is a really great conversation. And so I, I hear that that's not what you're taught when you're going through seminary school. And so I think that's important, um, but I don't know that that's shared um, with the entire congregation. I think the congregation has a level of expectation of those that are in your positions that I don't know, figure it out, find something in the Bible and tell us what what's the right way. And so that's not fear. Right. So I think that that's a really good conversation. So what is it that you you are taught um, and and then what do you think needs to happen in order to deal with these other issues? Because it's not like we say, okay, we'll go back to seminary school and figure, <laughs> figure right? No, seriously, because it's not like you have a club or, you know, so what, what happens as times are changing, just as they are now in terms of mental health, concerns around mental health, who is, who says to you, hey, there's some issues around mental health, maybe you should go back for training. Who makes that determination? And then where do you go? What do you do? I read Scott's articles. Okay, well, um, you know, <laughs> seriously, um, yeah. in terms of <laughs> friends and congregation between his the articles he has coming out, the website, most pastors today are in tune to what Scott puts out. Uh, and no, and, I, and I appreciate that. I do. That's an yeah. honest answer. I appreciate that. And but I'm saying that we're at, I'm I'm trying to figure out. No, but I was no. We're, yeah, we're you know that. these issues are happening. Right? Yeah, with that, that is true. That is what we do in terms of literature and reading okay. and trying to get an understanding on the theological practices, what's going on, so that we don't think it's just happening in our community. Yeah. And the other thing is, you really have to listen to your people. You have to yeah. listen to them and admit. I don't have experience with this. I need to send you someplace else. I need you to go to counseling. It's okay to go to counseling. And it's important as we're doing interruptions, as Garland was part with, with me with part of the training, is it's okay not to be okay. Yep. And not to have that stigma, the feeling that you have to be the strong black woman or the man that doesn't cry or the pastor knows everything and can solve all of my problems and the hour meeting I'm going to have with him every week. But I won't tell my doctor what's going on with me. That we have to change. And uh, Odell, thank you. I appreciate, I always appreciate your honesty, but that would be great if I were going to you on an, as an individual, right? But how do you get the, because really what I'm trying to say as um, for our ministerial staff everywhere, our level, the the average level of expectation of the congregation just is a lot of pressure for all of you, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do you get that? And, and Reverend Garland, I'm going to ask you, how do you get that message that Odell just said that, listen, you know, I wasn't trained in this. How do you get that message out to the congregation and the congregation be okay with that? Because from where, you know, if, if, as you're saying, all the studies that have happened and looking back on generations that the people sitting in the congregation, we have an unrealistic expectation of those coming to the pulpit. We do. Mm -hmm. We just do. We do. With everything that's going on. And I'll be the first one to say, it's just not realistic for you to be able to address every issue that's going on. So how do you get that message to your congregation to say, I hear you. 
I do. I know there's a lot going on. But from this, where I stand right now, there are other avenues that you need to reach out to, just as Odell said, in order to seek other assistance. How do you do that? I once heard a pastor say, don't put me on a pedestal. Because if I step to the right or to the left or to the front or the back, I'm going to fall off. And uh, what I have done personally in my church is um, talk of being transparent and letting the congregation know, hey, I don't have all of the answers. In particular, when I'm teaching Bible study, you may ask me a question. I will do my best to find the answer and get back to you if there is one, because we know God is mysterious. Some things we just can't find the answer, but I will not stand before you and give you that notion that I know everything because I don't. When you pinch me, it hurts. And when you cut me, I bleed just like you. And so I come to the scriptures with my own personal experiences, just like you do. So it, it's, it's really just being transparent and showing them that I'm human, just like you. And I am on the same level playing field with you. I make mistakes just like you do. And I make mistakes every day. Yes, I have Reverend in front of my name, but I make mistakes every day. And, and, and Scott, you know those pastors, these younger pastors, these like Garland is now describing that says, I'm not perfect and I don't know all the answers. But Scott, you also know those pastors that who male and female have always said, I know everything. Um, have taken, you see, I see your face, Kathy. <laughs> you know, come to me. I, I know, listen to me. I, ha I heard that one of the pastors in Buffalo told the young people who were going to school, don't talk to a counselor if they come to you, come to church. You know, and because the pastor knows, the pastor will pray for you, pray more. And, you know, did you stop tithing? And all these beliefs, where are these, I'm not, not where are they, but Scott, what are these pastors doing who have put themselves on, on the pedestal and want to remain on that pedestal as being the ones that know all, can heal all, and you just need to pray more versus we need to try to outsource some of the issues that we're having in our church? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I, th I think th there was probably a time in, in our history where the clergy did know more than than the average member, right? I mean, oftentimes they were the most educated. They were able to read, that they had gone to school. Um, and, and so it was maybe legitimate to, to get advice about every aspect of life from them, or, or you weren't able to get uh, advice or, or help elsewhere, you know, and, and the pastor was the only person. But but in the day and age that we live now, where all of us carry around the entire world's knowledge on, in our fingertips, right? Yes. Uh, it's, it's hubris to, to think that you can say, I know everything and your people aren't going to pull up uh, Google and, and check and make sure your, your advice is correct, you know? And so I, I, I think that I, and I've, I've studied too many pastors who have that attitude and, and therefore go send people down a path uh, of uh, difficulty and challenge uh, only to drive folks away because they, they finally come to the realization that this person doesn't know everything. Mm -hmm. And do they know anything about spirituality? So I'm going to go somewhere else. And, and I, I think some of the some of the challenge that we're seeing with, you know, the nuns, with the, the non-affiliated uh, yeah. younger generations uh, might in part be attributed to this, this attitude of, you know, I, I can answer all your questions and, and uh, the church as the church can, can, can address, you know, all, all of the issues of life. It, okay. it can, but, but also, there's uh, a need to send people to to qualified folks or to to admit that you don't 
don't always know, um, as, as Garland suggested, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're all fallible for sure. Yes. Uh, even even me, Odell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Scott. You're the man. Odell has you on a pedestal. We're, we're, we're just going to build a wider pedestal. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I have we, we have two questions. I know. I thank you all for yeah, your we time. We have to Odell. Just so we do have to start wrapping up. <laughs> yes. Um, one of the one of the issues, one of the struggles that Garland and I are coming across as we're teaching interruptions is that people don't like to read paper books. Mm -hmm. They thank you for acknowledging this. And we're using interruptions as the case study. And then there's the workbook. And people are coming in like, I got to read a book. I didn't have time to read a book. Or they'll read the chapter as we're going through the chapter. And Garland, you're in your doctoral programs. I know you have nothing but books to read. Right. And, and Scott, you still the professor, you're assigning books to read. Um, what, do we, what, do I, what do you recommend for us to do with interruptions when I'm recommending a book? Is that changing or how do I get people engaged and helping them to understand that the language of mental health and our everyday behavior, some things you just have to read. But you got to do a podcast, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. There you go. Oh, great answer. Great answer. I love it. So, oh, you know, the fun, and I'm glad you said that because one of the things that I did share with Odell is that we have to recognize the times that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a few years ago, and I, I, oh my God, I keep, I keep, I'm tired of kind of referencing everything to COVID, but unfortunately, Pre pre COVID, let me say it like that. There were um, there were a lot of um, conversations on in terms of book clubs, and so people had, and it was fun. And you would talk, you would everybody would select the book that they wanted to read. And what I shared with Odell on this on her book right now, I don't think it is that people do not want to read, but part of it is that it's a hard story to read. We already know the ending, right? And so we're seeing bad news. Um, in the news. We don't even want to turn on the news because we don't want to hear about another shooting. We don't want to hear about children that were doing the, what they were responsible of doing, going to school and getting killed at school. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear the story about people going to the grocery store and they were just trying to take care of their families and buy groceries for the week and they got killed. And so it's hard. And so with her book, as much knowledge and information that it's, it's bringing, it's, it's a hard story to read because we know the ending. And that's hard for us to say that I have to recognize that I've read through these pages that not Odell, but a mother, another mother has lost her child to a senseless mm -hmm. shooting. So I don't think it's that people don't want to read the book. And so I think in terms of how do we do it, I, we just have to look at the times that we're in and kind of make it part of the teaching in terms of maybe we read, you know, um, Odell, you read the first couple of pages, you're in the group, let's read this now. And then, you know, um, Kathy, you read the next couple of pages. So I think we have to meet people where they are because there's just so much bad news everywhere that that's a hard story to read. And it's, yes, it's, yeah. But one of the things that, you know, we did this book, the book is not about gun violence. The book is not about losing my son I lose my son in the book, but the book is about interruptions, good, yeah. bad, or indifferent. Yeah. And how do you resilience? How do you reinvent yourself in the midst right. of right. a pandemic? How yep. do you reinvent yourself? And, and I, I understand that. I just think it's hard for yeah. people to get past that point. And maybe that's, you know what? Maybe that's the conversation in the first um, session, so, right? Because I, I talked to Garland, and she goes, I got to read another book. <laughs> But I read it. And but Scott, I, in the doctoral yeah, programs, how many books yeah. do you have to assign students to read <laughs> on an average? Really? No, and I but I just I don't want you to take it as we're just we're seeing a different lifestyle of people right now. And it's not I think people want to hear it. They need to hear it, but it's just in terms of just finding a different way. So don't um but I know you have other guests, Odell, so I do want to just start to wrap up. 
Yes. <laughs> but before we wrap up, I one, I want to thank you too for being on our show. Thank you. Thank you. And please, uh, Garland, we'll start with you. Is there anything that you'd like to share, give a shout out to about what you're doing in Atlanta and your doctoral programs and any programs that you're launching that you want to talk about? Um, oh boy, that's that's a lowly loaded question. Currently, I am the Christian Education Director for the Atlanta North Georgia Conference for the AME Church. And so that consists of the east, west, north side and, and south side of Atlanta, all of those AME churches, which is over 100, by the way. And so um, I am now putting together um, my theme for this conference here, which is the spirit and soul of whole health. And those four areas we'll be focusing on is mental health, physical health, spiritual health, and personal professional health. And um, getting that uh, going is, is uh, going to be very interesting as I'm looking for the people to help me get those forms uh, off the ground to make them a success. But I truly believe that that is um, going to be something that's going to draw the attention of a lot of people it's 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 so necessary in particular in this time we can't help but refer to covid for everything because it has totally changed people's lives thank you thank you and you know anything we can do to help i hear that you have reverend brenda lamby teaching for you so yes. uh she told me yes and what about you scott well, I'll, I'll come back to what I started with, uh, our, our major project that we're doing on, on COVID and, and congregations. Uh, any, anybody who's interested uh, can, can go uh, visit our, our website there at uh, covidreligionresearch.org. And uh, if, if they're interested, uh, they can volunteer to, to, be a, to be a participant in our, in our research. We have a panel that we're following for five years and we have national surveys, and and, and we're have we're, we're hoping to to survey about a hundred thousand attenders uh, in mm. a couple of years to see how um, people are are getting along in church uh, post post pandemic. So uh, okay. it's it's a great resource, and and we're putting all of our data there uh, in in the form of web pages rather than books at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you both. This was wonderful. This was an excellent session. Reverend Garland, always wonderful to see you, Sora. And, uh, and when I am in uh, Georgia, we can go and we could do that little handwriting thing. Let's talk yes. about it. It's <laughs> so nice to meet you, Odell. Thank you, as always. This was a wonderful session because what Odell and I try to do is just bring attention to that there are going to be interruptions in our life, but at a moment in time, we need to determine whether we're going to stay um, a victim of that interruption or move forward and begin to reinvent ourselves as we as I am so proud to always brag on Reverend Odell as she has done not that she is forgetting what she has gone through but she has made turned it into a positive and also in a source of helping others so thank you so much um, for both of you for joining and thank you Odell always enjoy yourself in boston see when you get back oh, i know i know i can't wait <laughs> well, thank you scott thank you garland and scott it's so good to see you again you too yes thank you